0: Focus on headline. Now let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our Friday reporters in Changana and Hong Seung Yeon. Guys, happy Lunar New Year's to you guys, and uh, welcome back.
1: Good evening. Good evening.
0: Good evening to you guys. Well, one of the uh, the benefits of having to work on holiday is that uh, you avoid traffic. Uh, really enjoy the travel. Uh, to work today with absolutely no cars. But for those that are traveling, for instance, uh, things have changed a lot uh, during these traditional holidays where uh, many people attend to. Travel overseas or travel far domestically instead of traveling to their hometowns. While well, looking at people traveling overseas through the Incheon International Airport, uh, it's expected to reach 977,000. That's almost close to a million people uh, daily average, standing at 195,000. Hannah, start us off with the latest news on the Lunar New Year holiday travels.
2: Sure. Now, according to the Incheon International Airport Corporation on Tuesday, the number of people. Tra- travelling overseas increased by a whopping from the average daily passengers during last year's Lunar New Year holidays, which recorded 127,537. Now, The perception of the Lunar New Year holiday has changed drastically, and the image of this New Year as a time for the whole family to gather eating traditional food like tteokguk, which is rice cake soup eaten during the celebration of the Korean New Year, and share well-wishing remarks has faded. Now This year's Lunar New Year is a short four-day holiday, but the number of people traveling overseas marked the highest of any holiday since the pandemic in 2020. The busiest day during this year's holiday is the 12th, with an expected 200,195 passengers traveling. And the highest number of departing passengers is expected on the 9th, which is today, and the highest number of arriving passengers is expected on the 12th. On the other hand, many people are traveling to their hometowns to celebrate the holiday with their families. A total of 28.52 million people are expected to travel to their hometowns during this year's Lunar New Year holiday, starting from the 8th to the 12th, according to the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure and Transport. And on Lunar New Year's Day, 6.63 million people are expected to travel, which is expected to be the highest number of travelers during this year's holiday.
0: Moving on here, uh, one of the things that uh, we learned uh, over the near two years of the Yoon administration is that uh, President Yoon certainly likes to sing. And he's, uh, he's pretty good at it, too. If you remember uh, his meeting with uh, for, uh, current uh, U.S. President uh, Joe Biden, American Pie, right? Uh, nice little song there. Uh, every year, the presidents release, uh, send out their pre-recorded traditional holiday messages, video messages, right? You have it for Chuseok, and today, uh, this time around, being the Seollal holiday, uh, he sent out his Lunar New Year greeting uh, with a video of him singing good old Byun Up and his song We Need Our Love uh, with the president's Presidential Office Choir on Thursday. But on this Friday, we had the leaders from both the ruling and opposition parties uh, taking to the train stations to greet the travelers for the Lunar New Year holiday. Uh, not to mention President Yoon taking part in another event to meet some people uh, in a certain sector. seung uh, do tell us how the leaders are greeting uh, the public for the Lunar New
1: Year. Sure. President Yoon saw had brexit- breakfast Wood street uh, sweepers of Tongjak Ward in southern Seoul on Friday to wish them happy Lunar New Year and thank them for their hard work. Yun asked them about their working conditions over bowls of tteokguk, which is a ra- rice cake soup that is a traditional New Year's dish. So the ruling people p- power party went to Seoul Station, where the Gyeongbu line connects with Daegu, Gyeongbuk, and Busan, Ulsan, where the ruling party has a large following. And the Democratic Party went to Yongsan Station where the Hunam Line departs. Also on Friday, the People Power Party's Emergency Response Committee Chairman Han Dong-un, floor leader Yun jae Policy Committee Chairman Yu Dong and Secretary General Jang dong paid a visit to Seoul Station. Now, Chairman Han strode around the waiting room and platform, wearing a shoulder belt that read, Happy New Year with fellow citizens. Uh, Chairman Han took photos with the citizens and greeted the YouTubers who swamped, uh, uh to the spot, and handing them general election ad materials.
0: Now, President Yoon, uh, during that uh, breakfast meeting, uh, he was actually holding uh, talks with uh, some of the people in the environment sector. Uh, basically, you had uh, the environment uh, minister uh, being part of the meeting there. I believe uh, the Tongjak war chief was also there. Uh, and the reason for this is uh, President Yun felt that the, it's the environment sector, officials from the environment sector, that gets overlooked and doesn't really get recognized uh, for their great work. And so he wanted to kind of pay tribute to them. Um, but also, leading up to the April general elections, we've been talking about a large number of uh, lawmakers sort of separating from their respective parties, uh, whether it be the uh, ruling People Power Party or the main opposition Democratic Party, and creating their uh, own Uh, sort of third parties and we've been seeing this whole third party uh, fiasco going on with uh, questions of whether or not there's going to be merging going on well turns out all four of the third party groups the factions that broke away from the uh, rival uh, the main parties there decided they're going to merge create a one big party here singing let's also get more on that
1: Sure. So the third party met jointly at uh, Yongsan Station Friday morning and the four factions agreed to merge in the afternoon. A joint press conference was held at National Assembly Communication Center and they announced that they had agreed on a plan to merge into a new unified party. And according to the agreement, the name of the party will be the new reform party and the party will be co-presented by Inakyeon and Lee Jun And the co-representative Inakyeon will lead the general election.
0: So you were kind of- I think there was a lot of speculation from the get go, right? That uh, maybe uh, former DP leader and former Prime Minister Ina would probably merge with uh, former PPP chairman Ina uh, Gyan. There were speculations of this. And the reason for that is because when uh, the then Reform Party was launched uh, at the ceremony, I think Ina uh, Gyan was there. And that kind of caused a rift within. Uh, the party that was formed with Inagyan temporarily, right, that you had uh, uh, three lawmakers from the Principles and Common Sense, uh, the so, so-called the anti-Ee Young myung faction, uh, basically going, you know what, uh, they were kind of in a disagreement with uh, Lee Nagyuan. And so the consensus was probably because uh Nagyuan was pushing for a merger here. We have a super party, whether or not they will impact the upcoming general election uh, is the big question here. We'll take a close look at that. Uh, But again, because we have the Lunar New Year holiday and because families are gathering and because uh, you have the April general elections uh, happening uh, in uh, April 10th, uh, one of the things that probably will be brought up and uh, a topic that's certainly banned in my family is talks of politics, uh, often leading to random arguments here and there, especially my family, uh, certainly will ruin the holiday atmosphere, which is why, according to certain surveys here, uh, many young people are already worried about going home to meet their parents and relatives. Anna, tell us more about this.
2: That's right. Now, um, last year, Eduwill, which is a comprehensive education uh, company, surveyed 114 men and women in their 20s and 40s before the Chuseok holiday, and they found out that 13.2% of them said that political views were a of conflict during the holiday meetings with parents and relatives. Now, Nearly one in eight said that supporting different political parties or having different political stances was a source of conflict in their family. And some people even avoid family gatherings altogether because they are uncomfortable with the intractable arguments. Now, some people haven't been back to their hometown in years, and this is because when they visit their relatives, they end up talking about politics all day. And, it's only natural that different generations will have different political views. And the divide between family members seems to widen even further as political leanings are also divided by age, region and gender. And while regionalism is becoming less pronounced, gender differences are growing. And the problem is that as political polarization intensifies, not only do we continue to see extreme confrontation in the political sphere, but we also see a growing unwillingness among citizens to acknowledge or compromise on differing political opinions. And as a result, conversations about politics often turn into arguments and even family members who have not seen each other for a long time end up red-faced during the holidays. However, there is an argument to be made that avoidance is not the best strategy. Experts actually say that it can be beneficial to share different perspectives and opinions on politics. However, it is not advisable to impose the attitude that a family must support the same party or have the same point of view or to speak in an overly accusatory tone but to create an atmosphere where people can listen to and respect each other even if they cannot accept each other's logic
0: again there's something about politics that uh, really divides everybody and uh, one of the things i remember my dad was telling me was that uh, you could have differences in religious beliefs but if you have political differences, it's just, I mean, it's too much. And so, again, uh, as uh, rare times that our family members gather, uh, you know, talks of any talks of politics is absolutely banned. We also made rules to ban any talks of marriages. Uh, this is a rule put in place by my cousin who's not getting married for some reason uh, after years of dating her boyfriend. But uh, other than that, other issues always brought up, right? Uh, Which is why young people are refusing to go home and uh, meet families and uh, relatives. Uh, Moving on, North Korea state uh, television, KCNA, Korea Central News Agency, said Friday that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has again referred to South Korea as the North's primary foe and uh, promised to protect the country by force rather than negotiations. So let's this.
1: Sure. So Kim Jong un's words came after the North recently abandoned its decades long policy of seeking reunification with the South and called for codifying the commit- commitment to completely occupying the South Korean territory in the event of war. So, according to Korean Central News Agency, Kim Jong un mentioned that uh, defining the South Korean puppets as the most harmful primary foe and invariable uh, principal enemy and deciding it as a national policy to occupy their territory in the event of a contingency is a reasonable measure for the eternal safety of the country and the peace and stability of the future. Now, Kim also urged for full-fledged battle preparation based on stronger military force when visiting the defense ministry on Thursday to commemorate the 76th anniversary of the North Korean People's Army. So Kim said, adding that the North no longer has to go through the unrealistic ordeal of negotiating and cooperate, cooperating with the South that peace is not something that should be begged for or gained in exchange for talks. So North Korea has increased a severe criticism and military provocations uh, against the South after Kim described inter-Korean relations as interactions between two states hostile to each other at a year-end party gathering, claiming that there is no sense of pursuing reun- reunification. And Kim was accompanied by his daughter, Chue, who also attended a banquet celebrating the military's founding anniversary.
0: I mean, you know, one of the rhetorics that always come out from the North is uh, North North Korea's accusation that uh, both South Korea and the United States are trying to invade North Korea, right? They call all these military drills, joint drills, uh, invasion tactics. But uh, I don't know about you, but uh, talks of national policy to occupy their territory uh, seems like Uh, statement that they want to invade South Korea in case there are so-called event of a contingency, right, is is what they said. Uh, But certainly right now, uh, the tensions are flaring up in the Korean Peninsula with North Korea uh, first uh, dismantling all reunification departments. And earlier this week, they've also abolished all inter-Korean economic uh, cooperation agreements in place. So uh, I think a lot of people can agree that this probably is uh, the, the tensest situation right now in the Korean Peninsula, hopefully it doesn't lead to any confrontations. Uh, in the meantime, Unification Minister Kim Yong ho said that he'll be collecting information on the Japanese abductees from North Korean defectors. Uh, share it with the Japanese government. Hannah, let's get the details of this.
2: Sure. Now, in an interview with Japan's Yomiuri Shimbun published on Friday, Unification Minister Kim Young-ho said that in the future, we will add Japan to the list of abductees nationalities in a survey on the human rights situation Of North Korean defectors and if there is relevant information we will share it with Japan until now the survey only asked for the nationality of abductees as South Korean and other but Kim signaled his intention to add Japan to the list now Kim explained that the move is part of a policy to fulfill the requirements of the agreement reached by the leaders of South Korea the United States and Japan at Camp David in the United States last August to reaffirm our joint will to immediately resolve the issue of abductees and detainees in North Korea. Kim also added that there are also plans to establish a cooperation system with Japanese authorities to rescue abductees in South Korea and Japan. Now, Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has referred to the return of abductees as quote-unquote the country's most important task, and has repeatedly expressed his desire to hold a summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un to resolve the issue. Now The Japanese government claims that 17 of its citizens were abducted by North Korea in the 1970s and 80s and that 12 remain in North Korea, but Pyongyang counters that 8 of the 12 are dead and 4 never returned. In the interview, Kim said the only way to maintain peace on the Korean Peninsula is to build a solid deterrent system through strengthened cooperation between South Korea, the United States and Japan, predicting that North Korea is very likely to continue its military provocations ahead of the April general election in South Korea and the November U.S. presidential election.
0: Yeah, when it comes to like maybe surveys of the North Korean defectors, I mean, I reckon it must be former high-ranking officials uh, that were once in North Korea, maybe, uh, you know, diplomats, like former diplomats like Taeyong ho mm-hmm. uh, because, it, I mean, it's highly unlikely that just average North Korean defectors would have any kind of information on the uh, the abductees, right? Uh, and so, again, this is one of those things where it, it's really unfortunate. Japan has been really pushing for the return of the abductees for many, many years, and every prime minister that Japan has has uh, called on North Korea uh, to release or send back the abductees. But the time is ticking, and it just seems like with the uh, ever-so uh, big rift that we have uh, amongst the, the Asian countries in this region. That uh, It's becoming less likely that uh, any return of the abductees will happen. Uh, in the meantime, the unification ministry also said that uh, it was unable to reach more than 80% of those who were registered from the United States or Canada for family reunions. Uh, re- relatives in North Korea, we're talking about the inter-Korean uh, reunions, But of course, there are many uh, Korean Canadians, Korean Americans that have also been separated because of the Korean War. And this is prompting speculation that many could have passed away. Sinyan, let's get more on this.
1: Sure. The Unification Ministry conducted a survey last year of 825 family reunion reunion applicants living in North America and 679 people or 82.3% were out of reach. And uh, given that more than 70% of the 133,984 family reunion applicants in South Korea have died, many applicants in the United States and Canada are also thought to have passed away before seeing their long-lost relatives so according to the survey uh, 90.6% of the 119 family reunion applicants who are still alive in the United States and Canada want to know what happened to their relatives in North Korea and 84% are willing to participate in reunions now the majority of respondents said that they prefer to contact their relatives in North Korea through official channels such as Unification Ministry and the Korean Red Cross, rather than Civilian Channels, which the ministry attributed to their families' members' safety concerns in the North. Uh, Also, in the event of a reunion, uh, 28.2% said that they hoped it would take place on a neutral territory, such as the inter-Korean truce village of Panmunjom, while uh, 17.3% chose Seoul and a reunion center on Mount Kumgang in the north. Also, 11.8% stated they would prefer a reunion in Pyongyang. Also Gallup Korea conducted the latest study on behalf of the government between July and December of last year with 50.3% of the respondents aged 8 80 and up. The ministry stated that the poll was performed in the United States and Canada, which have the largest foreign population of separated families. And the ministry stated that it wants to actively incorporate feedback from separated families in South Korea and abroad when making policy decisions, as well as conduct a comprehensive survey of separated families this year. And since the historic Leader Summit in 2000, the two Koreas have staged 21 rounds of reunions, uh, bringing together almost 20,000 family members who had not seen each other since the Korean War. And in 2022, South Korea initiated talks with North Korea to discuss family reunions, but the North has yet to respond to the offer.
0: And one of those things that uh, we've seen for all the years that we've seen these family reunions is that uh, only when things are okay, relations between the two Koreas are okay, that they decide that they're going to hold these talks. And so uh, it's... It's unfortunate that, you know, South Korea continues to want to have these talks, but it's always North Korea who makes the decision on whether or not they're going to allow this to happen. And unfortunately, uh, there are many Koreans uh, who lived abroad and were separated by the Korean War. And uh, this, of course, including my uh, my grandparents on my uh, dad's side. And But they, they didn't even try. They said, I remember speaking to my grandfather before he uh, passed away, saying, I mean, it's difficult to even be picked if you're in South Korea. Uh, It's near impossible to be picked if you're in the United States. And so uh, just unfortunate. And uh, again, uh, you know, passed away. Both my grandparents passed away without uh, ever seeing their family members again. Uh, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres on Thursday reaffirmed his previous stance that the United Nations strongly condemns North Korea's ballistic missile launch as a violation of UN Security Council resolutions. So, Hannah, let's get more on this.
2: Sure. Now, Guterres said that the UN strongly condemns North Korea's violations of Security Council sanctions at a press conference at UN headquarters today in response to questions about North Korean provocations, including a series of missile launches. He added that the UN believes it is absolutely essential for North Korea to comply with uh, Security Council resolutions, but unfortunately, it is having difficulty doing so. Guterres has previously issued strongly worded condemnations of North Korea's ballistic missile technology, saying that each test or launch of a military ballistic missile constitutes a violation of Security Council resolutions. Guterres also said in the same conference that he would take immediate action if Israel Israel provided additional information regarding allegations that a number of employees of the UN Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees in the Near East are affiliated with Hamas. UNRWA is the United Nations Relief Agency for Palestinian Refugees, employing about 13,000 people in Gaza to run schools, healthcare facilities, and other relief operations, as well as to distribute humanitarian aid. Earlier, Israel accused 12 UNRWA employees of involvement in the October 7th raid on Israel by the Palestinian militant group Hamas, which led to the UN firing nine of them and launching a fact-finding investigation. The United States and major European countries have suspended financial support for UNRWA, and Israel believes that about 10 percent of its employees are affiliated with Hamas and other Islamic militant organizations in Palestine. The UN, however, uh, maintains that UNRWA's role is essential despite the alleged Hamas uh, ties. The Palestinians, meanwhile, counter that Israel is spreading false information to discredit UNRWA.
0: Now, other news here, uh, because uh, today is a Lunar New Year holiday here in the country, not a lot of uh, domestic news, but we do uh, have a whole bunch of uh, international news here. Uh, quite a high-profile interview with uh, former Fox News host and a uh, very controversial uh, host as, as well, Tucker Carlson. Uh, he had an interview with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin earlier this week. Uh, there, he denied having territorial ambitions in Europe. Uh, he mentioned a couple of countries, including Poland, uh, concerns about whether or not Russia is going to uh, invade Poland as well. Uh, he stated that he would only send troops into neighboring countries if uh, Russia is attacked first. Sienna, tell us more about this uh, interview.
1: Sure. Uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin has warned that defeating Russia in Ukraine is impossible, while claiming that he does not intend to escalate the conflict to neighboring nations such as Poland and Latvia. So Putin stated in an interview published online on Thursday that it is absolutely out of the question and it goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of a global war, which will bring all of the humanity to the brink of devastation. Uh, now, during a two-hour interview in which Putin discussed the history of Eastern Europe and Russia, the Russian leader stated that his government is in contact with the United States and that peaceful resolution to the conflict is only possible if Washington. Stop supplying weapons to Ukraine. And when asked by Carlson if he would prepare to release imprisoned Wall Street Journal reporter Ivan uh, Gerskovich as a sign of your decency, the Russian leader replied, "A deal is possible and there is no taboo in resolving the issue. So Gerskovich has been detained in Russia since March 2023 on spying claims that Washington has dismissed as baseless. And according to the Kremlin, Putin agreed to meet with Carson because he provided a more balanced perspective on the Ukraine conflict. And Carson has consistently questioned the logic behind U.S. support to Kyiv. And in a video shared on social media this week, he criticized U.S. media outlets for their quote-unquote fawning coverage of Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky.
0: Now, of course, uh, Carl Tucker Carson, as I mentioned, is a, a very controversial, uh, just like many Fox News hosts are, are very controversial, but especially him, he really stood out. Uh, he was a, uh, not, not because he was an average supporter of Trump, although he sort of later on started criticizing Trump a lot after he was uh, fu- uh, released uh, from uh, Fox News. Uh, but uh, whether or not uh, this interview is going to lead to a release of evan gerskovich is going to be a b- pretty big one because again we've seen that russia i don't know if this is a political maneuver but they have uh, sort of uh, detained a number of americans in the past uh, including uh, WNBA star uh, Brittany Griner, though Brittany Griner actually broke some laws over uh, in Russia. But uh, whether or not there's going to be some exchanges is the big question. Uh, Ukraine's president has sacked the commander-in-chief of the country's armed forces. We're talking about Valery Zaluzny on Thursday local time. Hannah, let's get more on this.
2: Sure. Now, the president's move uh, follows tensions b- between Zelensky and his military chief after the failure of Ukraine's much vaunted counter-offensive and with Ukraine facing a renewed Russian onslaught, manpower and ammunition shortages, and U.S. aid stalled in Congress. It is the biggest change uh, uh, to Ukraine's military leadership since Russia's full-scale invasion in February 2022. Zelensky said the high command needed to be renewed. Now Zelensky is a popular general trusted by Ukrainian soldiers and the public and was deemed a national hero. And in fact, his recent approval ratings have been higher than those of Zelensky. In a December poll, Zelensky approval ratings was 88%, while Zelensky only got 62%. Now, rumors of Zelensky's dismissal began to swirl around Kyiv last week after he was called to a meeting at the president's office and told he was being fired. Zelensky's office initially denied the rumors, but the move was confirmed on Thursday. Zelensky was offered a new position by the president, which he turned down, according to one of the sources, and it remains unclear whether Zelensky has decided to remain involved with the military in some capacity. Now, differences between the two had been simmering for many months, but appeared to grow wider towards the end of last year after Zelensky said the war had reached a stalemate in a long essay and interview in The Economist in November. His remarks drew immediate criticism from Zelensky's office, which said such commentary about the war only benefited Russia. And more recently, the two leaders clashed over whether Ukraine needed a mass mobilization effort. The army chief had suggested up to half a million draftees were required, which Zelensky resisted. Zaluzny's replacement will be Alexander Sarisky, who has served as the commander of Ukrainian land forces since 2019. Now General Sariski will face a formidable task assuming command over a military struggling to recruit soldiers and increasingly outgunned by a well armed adversary, and he would be taking a job vacated by a general well-regarded in the army and society.
0: That's interesting. I I didn't know they have polls Mm -hmm. uh, for the top commander of the country's army, but uh, uh, when you're talking about the uh, commander general having higher ratings than the president, that certainly doesn't look good. And Zelensky, as you know, at the sort of the the start of the Ukraine war, he had very, very high support, and Mm -hmm. you kind of have to wonder why the support rating uh, is dropping there. Uh, In the meantime, a big news that came out earlier today as well, U.S. President Joe Biden angrily uh, criticizing an investigation that found uh, he mishandled top-secret files and struggled to recall key life events, and uh, he had a a news briefing on Thursday evening where Biden assured uh, reporters that His memory is Fine. So let's get more on this.
1: Sure. Department of Justice Special Counsel Robert Hur found uh, President Biden had kept classified documents related to military and foreign policy in Afghanistan after serving as Vice President. So the 345-page report included findings such as that the president's memory had "quote unquote" significant limitations, and Mr. Hur interviewed the president for five hours as part of the investigation. Now the special stated that Mr. Biden could not recollect what he was uh, he was vice president from 2009 to 2017 or even within several years when his son Bo died in 2015. And at Thursday night's news conference uh, President Biden refuted the findings regarding his memory of events saying that he did not need anyone to remind him uh, when Bo Biden passed away. Now Biden said that he was very occupied in the middle of handling an international crises when he was interviewed by the special counsel from eighth to 9th uh, October last year, just as the Israel um, the Israel Gaza war uh, erupted, and the inquiry also said Biden had shared some of the sensitive material from handwritten notebooks with a ghostwriter for his memoir, a uh, finding that the president denied from the podium, and the special counsel concluded that it would be difficult to convict the president of improper handling of files because at trial, uh, President Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during uh, the interviews of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. And the president's age has become a concern for voters going into November's presidential election. But President Biden told told reporters on Thursday that he was the most qualified person to be the president, and when asked if if he took responsibility for keeping secret materials in his residents, uh, President Biden blamed his staff. He claimed that he had no idea that they had hidden critical papers in his house garage, where the special counsel claims they were discovered next to a dog bed. And the top secret files were discovered in Biden's residence in Wilmington, Delaware, as well as his old private office from 2022 to
0: 23. There's always been a long speculation that maybe there is uh, some uh, memory issues with him. And I think some people were kind of accusing him of having uh, early signs of dementia as well because some of his actions uh, in public is uh, a bit unusual. But uh, nevertheless, Uh, on Thursday, the nation's highest court was scheduled to hear arguments over whether uh, former President Donald Trump uh, can remain on the ballot in Colorado, where the state Supreme Court ruled that he violated Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Uh, Hannah, let's get more on this.
2: Sure. Now, the strategy involves trying to block Mr. Trump from the primary ballot by invoking a rarely used provision of the U.S. Constitution. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment bars those who have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the country from holding federal office. Initially backed by liberal activists, the theory that Mr. Trump was ineligible to run for the presidency again after the Capitol riot on January 6, 2021, gained more prominence in recent months as some conservatives also embraced it. The Colorado uh, Supreme Court was the first to offer legal backing to the idea, ruling on December 19th, that Mr. Trump should be removed from the state's 2024 presidential primary ballot. It was the first time that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment had been used to disqualify a presidential candidate Maine's top election official then ruled on December 28th that mr. Trump could not run for president in the state also citing the 14th amendment both rulings are on hold pending appeal but critics have warned that if the cases move forward they risk robbing voters the right to deliver their own verdict on whether the former president should return to the White House Now, the Supreme Court which mr. Trump held uh, helped shape will be the the ultimate arbiter by issuing a ruling in coming weeks on whether he can be removed from the ballot. Meanwhile, Trump's office argued that the president, who is an elected official, cannot be disqualified. He also argued that the Constitution requires additional legislation at the federal level to disqualify a president. Now, limiting his eligibility to run for office, they say, is beyond the power of the states. And the Supreme Court, questioned Colorado's decision, saying the definition of insurrection was unclear clear, let alone who engaged in the insurrection. Now, Trump, who listened to the Supreme Court hearing from his Florida home, reportedly smiled. And with three Trump-appointed justices and six of the nine conservatives on the court, the Supreme Court decisions in the coming weeks are expected to go in Trump's favor.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's still, I think, primaries that are going on right now. But uh, Nikki Haley, who is sort of uh, the second place candidate. Uh, and it's not even close, to be honest with you. Uh, Nikki Haley is not really getting a whole lot of uh, mm-hmm. attention or, I guess, uh, uh, votes from the Republican voters. And it does seem like it's going to be Trump. Uh, looking at some of the early surveys and polls that's been com- uh, coming out for the November uh, presidential elections, it does seem like a uh, Former President Donald Trump uh, will defeat Joe Biden is what it says, according to the polls. But as you know, we never know what happens because Trump is uh, facing so many legal troubles here and there. Many, many court cases that he's facing. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Just rounding things out here. The S&P 500 has touched the milestone of 5,000 for the very first time, setting a record high as a narrow group of companies continue to drive the index upwards. yeah uh, let's get more on this.
1: Sure. S&P 500, the basket of blue-chip U.S. stocks, rose as high as 5,000.4 on Thursday, just seconds before closing the session. And this pushed its gain since the beginning of the year to roughly 5%. So chipmaker Nvidia and Facebook owner Meta have led the market higher, with each up more than 30% in the new year. Uh, strong gains for the top corporations have more than outweighed investors' fears about how rapidly the Federal Reserve intends to cut U.S. interest rates this year. Now, the 10-year Treasury yield has risen 0.29 percentage point this year, while the two-year yield has increased 0.2 percentage point as central bank officials have tempered investor expectations that rates will be lowered in March. And while the S&P 500 has soared over many analysts' end of 2024 target levels, only half of stocks in the S&P 500 have risen this year, and less than a third have outperformed the index. Uh, meanwhile, the Russell 2000 index of smaller U.S. companies have has performed even worse, falling about 20% from its peak uh, from its two, 2021 peak. And Morgan Stanley analysts noted earlier this week that small caps were showing showing greater interest rate sensitivity than larger caps due to their high, uh, higher leverage and lower uh, profit margins. And the S&P 500 first touched 4,000 in April 2021, rising throughout the year before dipping below the mark in 2022. So the index last reached 4,000 in March 2023.
0: Yeah, there's some people out there who basically put into the S&P 500 as a whole, and uh, they're saying that it generates more profit than kind of having to target certain specific uh, stocks. But uh, that's that, right? Nevertheless, guys, thank you very much for joining us today with your reports. Happy Lunar New Year's to you guys And uh, we'll see you when you guys come back.
2: Thank you. You
0: You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.